today, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going down to verse 23. And I have to tell you, this is the last of the fruit today. It took only 26 weeks to get here. But uh, last of the fruit, that doesn't mean we're done with the chapter. As you could scan down, you could see there's a couple more verses yet to go. But as we've been studying the fruit, you've walked through the cemetery with me. Uh, verse 19, 20, and 21, as we mark the tombstones, and now we're on the fruit side. Which do you prefer? <laughs> You'd rather study the fruit than the tombstones? I do too. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the fruit. So I'm going to read to you the passage that we have for our attention today. Verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Heavenly Father, we have before us again your word, your magnificent holy word, and it changes lives. It has changed our life, and we acknowledge that even as we come before your throne now. It's because you have so graciously given to us your word, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and what a difference it's made for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving it to us. So we give ourselves to it today. As we study again from this passage, you have challenged us greatly in our study of Galatians 5, and I trust by this point we are different now than we were when we started. But there's still more work to be done, and so we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit today again, that He might have the dominance in our life, that He might instruct us and guide us and teach us, and make us more like Christ, we pray. Thank you for this time. May it be used mightily in our lives, and certainly to your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Self-control. One of my children, and I'm uh, saying it that way, one of my children, to protect the identity of my firstborn. All right. One of my children had an interesting way of playing when he was young. Um, we lived in a house that you could walk into the living room and then right into the dining room and right into the hallway, and into a bedroom, and into another bedroom, and back into the living room. It made this perfect little circle that you could go around and around and around. With all the doors open, that was easy to do. Well, this young child, who remains anonymous, uh, about two and a half years old, he had this plastic car he liked to ride. It was one he scoots with his feet, and, and off he went. And, and he rode around and around and around in that circle. And he wore this spaceman's cap. Well, he did. And red rubber boots. And all the while, he rode furiously in that circle. And he'd shout out these words. I'm in control. I'm out of control. I'm in control. I'm out of control. Round and round and round for hours. It was an interesting sight. You ever feel like that? That's the way life feels to you? I'm in control. I'm out of control. Seems like it. 
I, I think maybe most of us feel like we're on the out-of-control side more times than not. I'm not in control. Well, I think that every time I turn on my computer anymore. It's always updating something, always going through that. When I'm in a hurry, it's busy. It tells me, don't turn off your computer. It's telling me what to do. And I thought it was my computer. And it just, it takes my time, it takes everything. You, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to, you know, lose control of situations, time, travel. You're moving along, it's stoplight, 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 things of that nature. We, we struggle with funny things, don't we? Well, today we're going to look at the word control. You know, there is much we do not control when you stop and think of it. And we might find it very interesting in our study here, in this final word in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, that it says self-control. Self-control. Now, perhaps you're expecting me to say this. But this isn't about self when we start this. Not the self that you control this or you don't control that. I think it would be contradictory to the text to say, love is the fruit of the Spirit, joy is the fruit of the Spirit, peace is the fruit of the Spirit, patience is the fruit of the Spirit, goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness. They are all his fruit, originating by him, operating by him, made and maintained by him, produced and practiced by him in us, and then suddenly say, and you need self-control. One of the main points to this text we saw in verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We saw that, didn't we? Does that sound like you're in control? You may not do the things that you please. Actually, this is a very true statement. Let me put it this way. If you are not walking by the spirit, and you should be, by the way. It's a command, right? We've seen that over and again. Then if you're not walking by the Spirit, you're walking how? By the flesh. And that flesh will dominate you in everything you are. It will control your thinking. It will control your planning. It will control your efforts. It will control your expenses. It will control your time. It will control your destiny. And I say that in a funny way because here you sit as a believer and you say, but, but, you know, it can't separate me from the love of God. That's true. It can't rob you of the salvation you have and eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's true. But it can separate you from wonderful fellowship with God. The flesh can separate you from the joys of the Christian life. The flesh can separate you from the assurance you have that God has given to us and we lose sight of that and we start to doubt and we wonder and we, we struggle. We lose our sense of hope when the flesh dominates. We lose our peace, don't we? Oh, by the way, do we also lose our patience? 
How about our kindness? Our goodness? How many things do we actually lose when the flesh is dominating in our life? Uh, we find that we're miserable. And we find that we waste the real good days that the Lord has given to us in those hours and those minutes that the Lord has entrusted to us. In other words, to walk by the flesh means you're not in control. The flesh is in control. But if you're walking by the Spirit, let me tell you this, you're not in control either. You're not in control there either. You're filled and dominated by Him. You're following His will. You're stepping in His steps. You know, when you're walking with the Spirit, that sweet joy and that peace that comes from fellowship with God. You know your spiritual growth is healthy. You, you know that your spiritual confidence is stronger. You feel satisfied with this life and you're longing for your eternal home. That's what walking with the Spirit brings to you. But what's great about walking by the Spirit is this. You have confidence in His dominance. That's what it comes down to. You have confidence in His dominance. You will find that His will, brought about by His strength, with His results, bring Him glory. And by the way, you've been created for that purpose. Most of you probably know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 pretty well. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 follows this. And it says it so clearly. We are his workmanship. The NIV reads there, we are his masterpiece. I love that phrase. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I told you, this is what you've been created for. Created in Christ Jesus for these good works, to the glory of God, that we should walk in them. I want to show you another verse that will also show you this. Go to Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. Philippians 2, verse number 13. I want you to underscore this verse in your heart. You may have it underlined in your text, but I certainly want you to see it. Philippians 2, 13. It says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now let's, Slow that down just a little bit and break it up here. It is God who is at work where? In you. That's a powerful phrase. Just meditate on that one for a little while and think it through. God is actively, this is the, the tense of the Greek. God is actively working in you. Actively. That's present tense. That means continuously and right now. While you're sitting here in the pew, God is working in you. When you go home this afternoon and you sit down for your Sunday dinner, or you're riding in the church van all the way up to Kansas, God is at work in you right then too. He doesn't take a day off, by the way, folks. He doesn't stop working at you. You know, He made creation in six days and He declared it very good, didn't He? 
He's been at work in you more than six days. How do you view his work right now? God is at work in you right now. So much longer than he ever invested in this earth, he's invested in your life. And do you know what it will look like when he is done? 1 John 3 tells you in the first three verses, you shall be like Christ. That's his project. Think he's going to make it? Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. God is at work in you. That's what it starts with. God is actively at work in you. Now, notice what else it says. He's actively at work in you in your will and in your work. In your will to make it where your will is his will. Boy, that's going to take some work for some of us, huh? Where our will is his will. He's doing that. Where our work is his work. He's doing that. Right now, he's working that way. The flesh will fight that every inch of the way. Won't it? It's in opposition to the work of God. It's in opposition to the work of the Spirit. It opposes every ounce of that work that God is doing in your life. It fights it every single second. It does not want you to have that because it's not satisfied with you being controlled by God. It wants control. That's the opposition we read of here in Galatians. You see, that's what it wants you to be separated from, the joys of that fellowship with God. Satan tempted Adam and Eve in that same department at the very beginning. He led them away from fellowship with God because they sinned. Broken fellowship. And he still employs that very same device and that same deception in our life too, doesn't he? He breaks us away from that fellowship. So my point this morning, to start with, just very important teaching point. You are not in control. You are not in control. Either the Spirit is controlling you or the flesh is controlling you. That's what the lesson of chapter 5 is all about in the book of Galatians. Chapter 5, you're not in control. And so, as we look at this verse, chapter 5, verse 23, suddenly it seems like, well, all of a sudden it's given to you. Now, be self-controlled. Now, if you're reading the King James, you said, thankfully, it doesn't say self-control of mine. It says temperance. So I'd ask you, what is that? Does anyone have any clue what a temperance might be? Well, about 150 years ago, you probably heard of it a lot. The little societies that walked around getting people to stop what? Drinking. The temperance societies. You know, it's kind of interesting how that happened. Uh, but... When you go back into the word temperance, it was John Wycliffe that first put it in English. He, he was translating scripture into English tongue. Back in the 1300s, he put the word temperance there. William Tyndale followed suit. Uh, the Bishop's Bible, every translation practically up until the 1900s, they used the word temperance. And then all of a sudden they changed it to self-control. 
basically, I think, because the temperance society picked up on the word, and they made it sound like it's only about stopping you from drinking heavy liquor. And they said, well, that's not what the text is saying. Uh, it's more than just that. The, because we're, we're taught more than just, he's not telling us just to control aspects like that. Read any commentary you want. They all pretty much say the same thing under the same title. Self-control, they say, it pretty much goes beyond the absence of strong drink. It goes to a general idea that we should have self-control in all areas of life. That's generally what it says. Again, I will stress this point, that it emphasizes human activity and kind of throwing in the spirit to help us out a little bit. Now, I'm going to turn it completely around for you this morning. Are you surprised? Because this text is not about what we can do. It's not about what we can do. I'm even going to switch the words, and they're not accurate per se, but this might help. We're not talking about self-control, but control of self. I have to explain this a little bit, but it's more like surrendering has an element in it. Either you offer flesh control of yourself, or you offer the spirit control of yourself. Now, I don't think that does perfect justice to the text, but I would have to work through it to help you with this. But this is what Tozer said, A.W. Tozer, and I, I love his comments as I go through texts like this. He says, for the Holy Spirit is not a luxury, not something added now and then to produce a deluxe type of Christ once in a generation. No, he is for every child of God a vital necessity, and that he fill and indwell his people is more than a languid hope. It is rather an inescapable imperative. Let's dig into the words a little bit. Temperance, self-control. It, it comes from the Greek word. It's a compound word. The first word is in. The second word is strength. Kratos is the Greek word. Kratia is another word they'd say it. It's about exercising strength. Exercising strength. Um, and because it starts with the word in, in strength, in strength is the Greek word there, uh, it tends to be intensified. Intensified strength. Exercising or intensely exercising strength. The idea comes across to us as mastering something. Having that kind of strength over it. You've mastered it. Its root idea is strength or might or dominion. Now, here's a, a bit of a word picture that can help. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. If you go over to chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you find toward the end of that uh, chapter, verse number 25, this little verse. Now, I, I found this interesting. Yesterday, we were at a uh, cross-country meet, a regional cross-country meet, in one of the schools there, a public school, they were wearing T-shirts. And on the back of their T-shirt, it said 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. I said, hey, that's pretty neat. What did it mean? This is what it says. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do that to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Paul's writing in light of ministry. And the whole chapter is about ministry and preaching the gospel and the, the beauty, the value, the, the wonder it is that he can do that without charging people and that he would not charge people. In his context, he had a very important reason for that. Um, but as he's talking to the Corinthians, he says, I will master myself in ministry. I will be very careful in everything I do in everything I say, that I somehow, in the midst of presenting to you, do not disqualify myself from the prize. And he says that in the rest of this context. He's very, very concerned about the presentation of his life before the people. That somehow he doesn't present a contradictory thought or be labeled a hypocrite. Or to somehow show that his, his ministry was valueless because of his behavior or because of his words. In other words, he says, I'm going to master my behavior in front of you. I'm very careful that way. Or master it. So that I don't jeopardize the reward in the end. That's his context here. And I think that must have been kind of hard. Not because, you know, the Apostle Paul had problems. That's not what I'm saying. I'm thinking, he's ministering to Corinthians of all people. You almost, reading the book, want to yell at these people. You're, you're, you feel that sense of, what's wrong with you, Corinthians? It had to have been a frustrating group of people to work with. You ever work with frustrating people? Does that challenge your self-control? Uh, Paul says, even to them, I had to master this one. <laughs> I almost saw in parentheses, because of you. But it didn't say that. But all the years go by, Paul's testifying before kings in Acts chapter 24. And he's standing before a man by the name of Felix. Felix had to hear Paul out, and, and Paul's explaining the gospel to him. And as he goes to that in Acts 24 verse 25, he says, Paul was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix became frightened at it. And he told Paul to go away. That was too much for him to hear. What? Righteousness? Judgment to come? Self-control? Interesting. It frightens Felix. When Paul wrote to Titus later, Paul emphasized the fact that he was to appoint elders in every city, just like he told him to do. He says, namely, these are the men you're to pick. In Titus 1 verse 6, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. It's quite a list, but that is in there too. Now, you're looking at that and saying, okay, they should be controlling themselves. This is not exactly what the word is giving the Ephesus to. 
Because when Peter talks about it as well, in first or Second Peter chapter one, verse three or five and verse six, rather, he says, "Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, he says, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, supply knowledge, and in your knowledge, supply self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness." And if you start going through this list, you're going to find that all of these things are gifts from who? These are the things of God in your life. His word, his truth, his righteousness, his knowledge, his perseverance, his godliness, his self-control in you. Now, for all the times I read in commentaries about this word meaning some sort of self-mastery, about curbing your passions, about your curbing your temper, about curbing your tongue, curbing your love for money and power, I could find lots of verses to go with that. The scripture is not silent on any of those. That's true. But this is what one person said, and I think it reveals the problem. Self-control. It's a relation of the self to the self. It's the relation of the self to the self. A person is blessed who has this quality. He possesses the power to keep himself in check. Now, to me, that's an awful lot of self stirred into the mix. Self. What we have seen so far is this. Love is the Spirit's love, not ours. It is solely His. It operates by Him. And according to him, it is his fruit. Joy is the Spirit's joy. It is his. It is solely his. It operates by him. It's according to him. It is his fruit. Now, I could repeat the same phrase for peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And you've heard it week after week, haven't you? This intensely operating strength that we're looking at here today. That's the definition I'm using for my study. It's not our strength to master. It's the Spirit's strength to master us. The control is about Him, not about us. It's His control. Here's, let me put it this way, because we discussed this in Sunday school just for a few moments. Scripture says, I can do all things, and you know the rest of it. What is it? Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, of course, that's a problem for somebody else, not you, right? You always trust him for strength, don't you? You do all things through his strength, don't you? Nobody's saying yes. <laughs> and I know why. Because <laughs> I look in the mirror too. Zechariah, back in the Old Testament, he had a message for the governor Zerubbabel. What great names they had back then. Zerubbabel the governor. He had a big job to do. He was given the responsibility of overseeing the folks who had just came back from Babylon. They were back in the land. They had to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed, so they're rebuilding it. They're setting it back up. It was a big, big job to do. Zerubbabel was in charge of that uh, activity. And Zerubbabel probably got himself 
awfully involved in it, probably stressed out quite a bit. Maybe his patience is being tested because the people weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And the, Zechariah came with a message to him from the Lord, and he said this. The Lord said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain. And he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel had laid the foundations of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will, the Lord, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now, that huge task to perform, overseeing the reconstruction of a temple, there was heavy opposition the whole time. Groups that did not want that to happen. They'd used political means to try to stop him. There were many who chose to quit and just go home. Overwhelming task, and it could not be performed by human strength. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it was by the Spirit's strength. David faced something like that himself when he stood against the giant, remember? He told King Saul, David said this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Would you have said it that quickly? And then David stands before Goliath, and he says this in 1 Samuel 17, 45, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord would deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know that there is a God of Israel, and all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. Read through Hebrews chapter 11. Try hard to find somebody who did not believe that it was God's strength that got them through. Their faith was in a God who did the impossible, right? And we have their testimony on every single verse of that chapter. How they trusted in God's strength, God's strength, God's strength. I bring to you another little quote that I read from Tozer. Faith, as Paul saw it, he says, was a living flame, uh, was a living, flaming thing, leading to surrender and obedience to the commandments of Christ. Faith in our day often means no more than a meek assent to a doctrine. Think about that for a minute. Are we that much different? than a Zerubbabel, than a David, than the people who lived that we read of in Hebrews chapter 11, that all these folks through all these centuries were called upon just to trust in the Lord's strength. And all of a sudden now did he say, now go do your own self-control. Figure out your own strength to get by. We were made by the Lord. We were saved by the Lord. We're employed for his service. Are we all in agreement on that? Yes. Who gives us the strength to do it? He does. 
Do you think little of that strength? Let's try Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go nice and slow through Ephesians chapter 3. Not all of it. Just start with verse 13. I'm going to go all the way to verse 21 and listen carefully. Ephesians 3.13 Therefore I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulation on your behalf, for they are your glory. Paul's in a a heavy spot. He's in prison, as he writes. Tribulation, it's hard work. People would look at that and say, well, Paul, I don't want to follow you. I know where it goes. Paul says, don't lose heart, because I'm praying for you. He says, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, this is Paul's prayer, think of this, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through who? His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In case you're wondering, is that possible? Read the next verse. Now to him who is able. I've said this before, but there's my theology just in a handful of words. God is able. Now to him who is able. To do what? To do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Somebody once said, our problem is we ask so little, we think so little. He can do beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? Within us. Now you say, okay, I've got power within me. Where is that from? Back up again to verse 16. Where is that power coming from? It's a spirit's power in you, is it not? It's a spirit's power. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This fruit that we're looking at. We read the word self-control and we say, hey, let's put ourselves in here. No. Strength. It's talking about being in strength. Mastered. By whom? The Holy Spirit. It's His fruit. It's His work. It's His love. It's his joy, it's his patience, and this is just as essential as the rest of them. It might even be said this way. Without this strength, how can we ever know his love? That's what Paul just said in that prayer. How can we ever know his joy? How can we ever know how to trust him and to follow him and to walk in his way unless he gives us the strength to do it? It's not our strength. The strength that we're reading of is His strength. See, we need His joy and we need His patience in order to serve. He's given us His love that we might serve. He's given to us His peace and His gentleness in order that we might serve. And it demands that we find our strength, not in ourselves. But as this final fruit is telling us, 
it's his food. It's his strength. It's in you. It's in you. You need his strength to serve him. His strength. This is the control that I want to talk about. The control that he seeks in your life. That he seeks in my life. A trusting him to perform the task. I think that's what, again, brings us back to that dominance that he needs. In every aspect, we need to turn to him, even the strength to do it all. And you know, when we're following his strength, guess who controls what we think? And what we do, doesn't he control that when we're walking his way? And then you say, well, that just answered the whole self-control problem there too, didn't it? It's his strength that dominates us. Trusting him just to perform the task by his strength. I want to just say it simply this way. You can believe me. What he will do through you is much better than what you will ever do through yourself. That was an understatement. Hudson Taylor said it this way, God alone is sufficient for God's own work. Just chew on that for a little while. God alone is sufficient for God's own work. We need a faith, Taylor went on to say, that rests continually upon a great God, expecting Him to keep his own word, and to do exactly what he has promised. It is not greater faith that you need, but faith in a great God. So how shall you find strength today to do these things? This thing called patience, this thing called goodness, this thing called kindness, this thing called this love, this joy, these words that we've been studying here. Each week I brought you to the same place. You cannot do this. This is the Holy Spirit's work in your life. What are you called to do? Walk by the Spirit. That's it. Walk by the Spirit. That's where you'll find the strength. Don't go home and try to muster it up. Maybe extra vitamins might help. We try all kinds of techniques. It says, walk by the Spirit. That's all it's calling us to do, folks. Walk by the Spirit. This is His fruit. You want to see this in your life? Walk by the Spirit. If you don't walk by the Spirit, you know where it's going to go. Quite the opposite, isn't it? We've already seen that list. We're not going back there again. We don't want to rehearse that one. We're called to walk by the Spirit. You want the strength to serve Him? Walk by the Spirit. You want the patience to serve Him and serve others? Walk by the Spirit. I've made the point for many, many weeks. The question is, are we doing it? Are we doing it? That's what we're called to do, right? That's what we're going to talk to the Lord about right now. I don't want you to just simply say, Lord, just give me strength. Say, Lord, I want to walk with you. And that's where I'll find my strength. Heavenly Father, impress upon us what fellowship is all about. The fellowship with God. What it means to walk with the Holy Spirit. To trust Him in every single thing. 
to find him dominant and controlling in our lives, to, to see how he changes our words, our thoughts, our actions, to see how he changes our outlook, how we invest our time, how we invest our, our plans, to see how he changes us in every single aspect for the work that God has prepared for us to do. There's not one aspect of this that you have set up, Lord, that you have told us to fulfill in our own strength. You have not once required us to invest self in this whole picture, but to trust the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to obey the Spirit. And that's really where our question lies here this morning as we come before your throne, is whether or not we're walking by the Spirit. There is no option given with it. There is no loophole to fall through or out of this command. There is no other way, Lord, that you've called us to live as a Christian, but to walk by the Spirit. Each of us is accountable to that very phrase today. Each of us stands before your throne, before the God who sees us inside out, and knows exactly how we invest our lives. Each of us stand here, controlled by God or controlled by the flesh. Each of us stand before your throne, Lord, today. And we ask that this might be done in our lives. I trust, Lord, that that's the flaming passion of each every heart here today. To walk by the Spirit. To see his control in our life. His strength in our life. That we may know the love of God. That we might know the strength of the Lord. That we might see things accomplished for your honor and your glory. That we might rest in your dominance. Give us this confidence today, Lord, as we stand before your throne. You are at work in us. And you will not stop until the sun is seen in each of us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, even when we're faithless. For the work that you have begun, you will complete it. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We just give you the praise as we stand before your throne. Knowing how needy we are, we've come to the right place. We've come before you and we've cast our cares right here. Thank you for your work in us. May we not forget what we have heard. May we not lose sight of what you've called us to do throughout this day, throughout this week. Do your mighty work in our hearts. Draw us ever closer to yourself, we pray. May it be your strength seen in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.